the baby aisle in Target or wherever you shop um, does not have, you know, milestone development in mind. They're just, you know, and, and essentially they're there to sell you a product. There, there's so much um, fear that putting a baby to sleep on their stomach, a baby won't be able to lift up their head and turn it from side to side. But the second you put a brand new baby on a mother's chest, they literally can lift their head up and find the nipple and latch on. So they all, they all know how to do it. There's no achievement that occurs on the back. And the longer we leave our babies laying on their back, the, you know, in, in nature alone, that's a death threat in itself. No mammal leaves their baby on their back. We don't recommend pacifiers. We don't recommend swaddles. We don't recommend infant swings, bumbos. Are they going to listen and think I missed my whole window now? My baby is way past that period. Is it irreparable? Also, that's the other question. Is it irreparable? And is it ever too late? I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Carrie, and I'm here with my sister, Jenny, and we are so excited to be here today. We are both pediatric occupational therapists. Um, we hold master's degrees, and we own a private pediatric clinic uh, down in the south of Arkansas, and we have been serving families for seven years, and then uh, basically everything changed when we became moms ourselves, and we began to share empowering information about what we learned along the way to help moms understand milestone development and coupled with um, the pediatric lens of becoming moms ourselves and then seeing what we treat in our own clinic, we developed our own method. And that's probably where you may have heard of us at On Track Baby. I'll let Jenny kind of go into that. Yeah. So this is the voice of Jenny, <laughs> the other sister of On Track Baby. And it's been a wild ride for sure. So we started out in a very traditional mindset, which is our occupational therapy lens and been transformed, um, you know, by motherhood, but specifically through the birth process that we've experienced ourselves. That's um, just been, you know, one of those things that until you live it, <laughs> you really can't know. And that maybe that's part of the sacredness of life. It's, it's just such a specific journey that we enter into. And what we really found along our path is that we have um, a specific connection between the birth that we experience and the first year of life that follows and this interconnection between our nervous system and the process, the physical process of being born, but then also what it's like on the other side of being born, which either sets you up to just effortlessly meet milestones in the first year or can be a bit of a bumpy road, if you will, which we know many people align with specifically because of the number of interventions that introduce stress. So today we're just gonna kind of talk a little bit about one of our most favorite topics, which is how the birth process does um, affect development. And, you know, we, are, we won't just pick on one specific birth. We have some examples, but basically any and every birth has an impact on how your baby develops, whether we realize it or not. So realizing it and becoming just 
aware and informed, um, just even going into your birth is just so empowering, uh, especially for that postpartum wife, you know. <laughs> so you guys experience this, you you obviously see this in your own clinical practice, but you each experience this in your own birth um, process because you each came into birth having, it sounds like more interventive birth, intervention, heavy births the first time around, and then subsequently second babies going for a different kind of birth process, a VBAC in a home birth. And you noticed in your babies that there were different, there were differences in their development differences in meeting their milestones. And then, so you sort of went deep into this process of investigating how pregnancy and the birth can affect our baby's nervous system and how that impacts their development for milestones and probably temperament a little bit too. All right, perfect. Good. In terms of scientific data, we had the most upfront information about how a human nervous system develops being a mother in the physical 24 hour sense of it that you never get under the professional lens because you're working with a client for an hour at a time. It was transformative in the sense that after we experienced specific types of birth, we actually got to watch the subject, um, you know, before our eyes, obviously yeah. it was less clinical, <laughs> um, but that's really, it, you know, it's the age old argument of, is it nature versus nurture? Um, and what nature presents through birth is something that nurture counteracts after birth. So Cynthia, you're familiar with the, the perinatal mood disorder and even just getting down to the layers of oxytocin versus dopamine and physical touch and separation and trendy baby products like sleep training and swaddles. Now, this is um, kind of just a quick rundown of what the physical experience a baby has during the birthing process, which you'll see on the other side um, as we go through this, but uh, the birth canal, the squeeze, we know that it's going to press the baby from head to toe, ideally, unless you're toe to head. <laughs> we know that that pressure activates a series of reflexes in a baby that automate how they put together their neuromotor maturity. So what we see them do immediately following birth. So the breast crawl to latch would be immediately activated by that birth canal pressure. You know, obviously a dramatic decrease in any type of um, lung involvement or breathing issue because the squeeze presses the, you know, the fluid out of the lungs. But more importantly, what we do know is that the moral reflex, when the baby comes out and experiences this change from water to gravity, it elicits this startle, which actually, um, you know, involves the diaphragm and creates the first breath. Can I jump in for a second? Sure. Let's explain what the Morrow reflex is because it's arms flail and it reacts like it's falling. So that's the Morrow reflex, right? Can you just explain that from a professional standpoint? <laughs> Yeah, great question. Um, so the moral reflex, which is known as the startle reflex, it actually will initiate labor naturally. It initiates labor when the baby startles in the womb. Um, that's the first reflex that will begin the whole process and starts to kick off all those natural sensations. So that, I mean, it's super, super critical, super important. Um, but then when you come, you know, earth side, you come gravity based, it essentially is the fight or flight response that helps a baby understand their entire world. Um, they were cushioned, things were muted. It was soft and warm and mom. Now everything's loud. Voices are not muted. It's cold temperatures. 
So what the moral reflex does is it startles because it, you know, baby's scared. And then the movements are come out and then come in to cling to find towards mom, which is you see the uh, arms and legs go out and that big startle response. And then the whole movement is that they will come back in across close to their body. And usually it's followed by a cry. And so um, what happens is depending on just how stressed, you know, either the baby was during birth or after birth, because, you know, usually what we see now is that, you know, there's not a lot of postpartum maternal support sometimes. And so you just go home with this baby that's, you know, startling and crying. And then they're like, what's going on? How do I get it to stop without truly understanding that all it is is setting up the nervous system to understand, hey, I have to get used to loud noises, find my mom, hear voices. And the more the baby startles, the more they get used to their world around them. And then it begins to fade. Were you were you saying back to the birth canal and the squeeze that babies who don't have a vaginal birth are less likely to have that moral reflex and um, not less likely to have it there? Oh, their more their moral reflex is more sensitive. Overact. It's overactive. Yes, from the beginning. So um it is it keeps baby in fight or flight. And depending on if they were, you know, truly calmed down in that way or just kind of like misunderstood from the beginning, because you know, moms kind of don't know what to do with that. Um, you know, you can just stay in that state of heightened sensitivity, you know, and Part of what part of what Jenny and I talk about is some of the baby products that do prolong that, um, that people just don't realize. So there's something in the process of squeezing through the birth canal Mm -hmm. that softens and lessens Mm -hmm. the effect of the moral reflex, but we're supposed to have that reflex, Yes, but it can go into overdrive. So then if we have a mom listening, who's had a C-section and she's wondering, oh gosh, well, my baby does that. They Mm -hmm. all do that. What, what can she do about that? that can make her feel that she can compensate for the fact that it was a C-section? How can she address that right off the bat now that we're discussing yeah. it? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a great question. important um, topic because of the prevalence of the C-section. So once we know what the ideal biological birth is in terms of setting up your baby to kind of effortlessly develop, then we can look at what are the alternative births that are occurring? And then what do we see as a result of an alternative birth? Mm -hmm. Um, And I will actually go further than just the C-section baby, because there's specific um, things associated with each intervention that is helpful to understand when you're looking at your baby. And then we'll circle back to some things to counteract it too. So Carrie's first baby was a a breech C-section and that in itself is going to have a baby be less body aware. So we know that that tight squeeze is going to deeply activate our proprioceptive system, which is our uh, body awareness in our joints and our ability to just be a coordinated mover through life. A little bit just like out of sorts. As a baby, you might be um, extremely colicky, generally overwhelmed, easily overtired. Um, you uh, can develop into a picky eater. You can be resistant to bathing. Um, you can be a funny kid to dress, like they just don't like certain textures and things. And all of this goes back to their body has been wired insufficiently. So the opposite of a c-section is pressure so what we we like to do for our c-section babies is to experience life with tons and tons of active deep pressure so we accomplish that in different ways when you're actually in a therapy session but at home um, if you're a new c-section mom infant massage is so great Um, we've already seen all that data come in anyways we know it helps with bonding but on a on a 
scientific level, we're going to increase the actual touch between a mother and a baby. Um, but it's an actual direct intervention following a C-section that can go back and rewire some of those pathways just by the pressure alone and the time spent, um, you know, exchanging the oxytocin between the mother and the baby to kind of soothe the nervous system that didn't experience that squeeze, which provides pressure. And I'll go even further to say it's not that hard to understand what this is like because we use hugs in life to calm ourselves down. Um, And this is all deeply rooted into the very beginning, which is the first squeeze that you received and how it calmed your system to prepare for the change or the transition or what your nervous, uh, nervous system experienced. I have to ask a question that I really believe that there's a difference between a scheduled C-section and what we call an emergency C-section. Absolutely. So in one case, the baby is working to come out, is in labor, is in a uterus that is contracting and gets assistance in its birth. But in the other, the baby is just going about about its intrauterine life and it's just removed. Absolutely. And it's like if we were just sleeping at night at 2 a.m. and then someone came in and ripped the blankets off and turned the light on was like, let's go. You know, it's time to get to time to get to work. I mean, that they're essentially just sleeping. And that um, my first was a scheduled plan C-section. And, you know, I was not informed really of anything other than they wanted to take her early because that was good for their calendar. Um, and intuitively, all I thought was, can I at least go to 39 weeks? I mean, I had to ask for that. And, you know, now knowing what I know, um, I've experienced just everything that, you know, Jenny's describing with my first and I went back and kind of connected the dots. She never really even got, like in your case, an emergency where they are having the gentle pressure of contractions that all preps the nervous system. But the un, the planned ones are the ones that kind of get the short end of the stick because they don't get any prep time to come into the world. They just have to come on into the bright lights. <laughs> so we do know just immediately following an unplanned C-section, tons of skin to skin. Because even if I have a stressful beginning, if my mother is there counteracting my future stress or my mm-hmm. in the moment stress, stress, which tends to look like colic and, and all of the above, if she's responsive to me, then the attachment forms and I have a solution to my stress. But it definitely will tell you that if you are in the thick of it in the fourth trimester with a baby that um, is hard to soothe, is colicking, is struggling to eat, all of that goes back to what type of birth did they experience? When you have a baby that's slightly prepared for birth, that's ideal. But um, you also get the mother signaling stress to the baby as that birth escalates. So we see a fight or flight activation prior to even being removed by the C-section because we just know that that's how biologically we've prepared the baby to survive following birth. So this goes way back to, you know, like our brainstem responses. It's a primitive like neuro signaling that a mother would say, if I'm experiencing a flood of cortisol, the doctor comes in and says, heart heart rate's dropping or your body is failing you and the baby isn't coming. And you're just taking that in with your cortisol going up. We know the natural reaction is like, of course, I'm going to you know, like immediately suck up for survival mode, but also flood the system with stress hormone, which crosses the placenta to the baby, telling the baby that it's potentially a dangerous environment that you're going to come to. So either I'll stall or slow labor, or if the interventions keep the baby coming, keep the baby coming, and I'm getting more and more stressed, and then now we're rushing down the hall, the signaling begins, um, you know, early so that the baby comes out in that fight or flight mode. So that's your C-section. We don't really, you know, we just like to know that if it happens, and if you are a C-section mom, 
respond, respond, respond yeah. to your baby because yeah. neuroplasticity tells us that the environment does all the architecture. And we do know, yeah, because, and also think about, you know, when I know we're talking a lot about C-section, but it's pretty prevalent because, you know, we think about the bonding that gets immediately almost disrupted because you're in surgery and you can't go right to skin to skin. I mean, usually they get, wrap them up. You got to get out of the OR. Um, and we do know that first golden hour, which again, I was just like completely blinded. I had no idea what was going on in birth in the first time, you know, yeah. the first time mom. Um, so it's just, you know, your baby's just wiring all those experiences, but like Jenny says, the more the mother can just go back, hold, spend lots of time in the fourth trimester, baby wearing, baby wearing skin to skin, being responsive, um, and allowing the startle to just startle naturally and telling your baby you're safe, you know, you're safe. That was the door shutting. You're safe. You know, you may see a heightened response based on, you know, the intervention, heavy births, you know, namely a C-section too. Question about swaddling. Yes. How do you guys feel about swaddling? There's a lot of mixed information out there about, you know, sometimes these highly sensitive babies and colicky babies really need the swaddling. We know that swaddling can interfere with um, breastfeeding and we'd rather mm -hmm. them be skin to skin. So there's a lot of like pros and cons of the swaddling. Where are you guys on it? And some babies don't like it. Some babies yeah. don't, definitely seem to not like it. Most of them don't. Now, the colicking baby and the baby that does respond is actually responding to the pressure. But what they're actually seeking is true responsiveness in the physical sense. Um, and they're getting the second best solution the mother offers, which is, well, if I can just kind of bind you up, you may be content for a little bit longer. So our first go-to with any baby is observe them what they communicate. So if you're trying to swaddle your baby and they're fighting it, then that is true communication. It's, it's actually not in your or their benefit to keep trying to get yeah. that baby in a swaddle, <laughs> even if you know after the swaddling process is over, they'll calm down. The best route would be to pull your shirt back, wear your button down shirts, get the buttons off and put your baby skin to skin until they're calm. My babies didn't like swaddling and I definitely didn't ever attempt it a second time. However, I'm a huge fan of baby wearing. And after a few, a few clunky tries and a little fussing <laughs> for my babies, we all loved it. So what are we to think like, I like what you said about take that as real communication. I love that. It makes sense to me. It's what I did in the case of swaddling, yeah, but totally. then I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. If I had thought of that when I was trying to do the sling, I might've <laughs> second guessed whether I should keep trying that now. Is that a different situation because they're on you in the end? And if you go through that effort, they are on you and that's back to full circle. They're on you again. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, you got it. There you go. It's full circle. <laughs> And it's okay. fine for your baby to express themselves. In fact, we are so extreme now in how, how biologically we approach infant development. We don't recommend pacifiers. We don't recommend swaddles. We don't recommend infant swings, bumbos. We literally teach moms to carry a nice, preferably organic quilt that's, you know, maybe two by two feet that can go with you everywhere. And you lay it on the floor and you put your baby on their tummy on the floor everywhere you go. And it uh, sounds a little bizarre when you first hear it, um, but it's basically the most natural form of helping your baby develop. You don't mean instead of baby wearing. No, no, obviously throughout your day, you know, you would, especially a, a tiny baby. So when your baby's awake and it's time to separate from your baby, instead of like trying to swaddle them into a nap or get them 
entertained in a center. You you essentially want to immediately accommodate a tiny baby or introduce a tiny baby to the floor, but specifically on their belly on the floor because there's no achievement that occurs on the back. And the longer we leave our babies laying on their back, the you know in in nature alone, that's a death threat in itself. No mammal leaves their baby on their back. They always turn over and crawl to the mother. So, um, you know, ideally, so we talk about the ideal birth. You get this very stress-free first stage of labor where you're using your hypnosis or your mantras and you've prepared mentally for the waves that are coming or you have the water or the, you know, whatever you need to make it through that first stage where you're not signaling to your baby that the environment is stressful, um, you're working through it. And then you get that squeeze, the baby comes out and then you lay the baby tummy to tummy with the mother, which is the very first tummy time experience a baby has. So there's no more water. We know how different it feels to be in a pool versus alongside the pool. So the very first sensation a baby gets would be uh, the tummy down position on mom, still connected to by cord. And then that squeeze would have activated all the rest of the nervous system, which is a series of reflexes that begin moving the baby up to the breast. And the point is that if, if our ideal birth is happening where our baby comes tummy down first, nature already decided for us what the best position for baby is. And it's tummy down on the mother, especially in that cocoon phase of letting them finish off that startling that happens the first three months. Um, and it just seals the deal for their nervous system because they're cocooned and they're stimulated sensationally from the same things. I'm responded to my mom. I'm on my tummy, either on her or horizontally on the floor. We never want a horizontal baby to be vertical unless they're literally baby wearing on a mother's tummy. So I love, love, love what you're saying about all you need is a two by two blanket that goes everywhere with you. So mothers out there, you have permission to erase everything on the baby registry that involves sponsors, seats, toys, anything that keeps them upright. Your baby is best off if they literally are either on your body or on a little blanket on the floor. And that's all you yeah. need. And we're huge proponents of like, when people say, well, what do I need to have a baby to get started? We're like your breasts, yeah. maybe, you know, some diapers, a sling yeah, and a two that's by exactly two it. blanket. It really astonishes me how um, many hours a baby can go in a car seat yeah. when they are in those portable car seats and they go in the car for a drive. And then they go into the grocery store for an hour and then they go back in the car and oh, they're asleep. So they'll just stay there for two more hours. Right. And you know, four hours have gone by and the baby's been in the car seat. And how many times a day or a week does that happen? Oh, um, absolutely. So that's, that's just great. A two by two blanket. That's all you need. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. Fun. And that, and, and again, and another pillar in the method that we wrote is less is best for baby and for their development. Um, we did the method ourselves with our second babies. So um, we tested this out <laughs> firsthand before, you know, it even hit the World Wide web. Um, but truly what we found is that um, the baby aisle and target or wherever you shop um, does not have, you know, milestone development in mind. They're just, you know, and, and essentially they're there to sell you a product and we all get sucked in because we just want to buy cute things for our baby or we think we need a million things um but again yeah less is best and when you understand that your baby your tiny baby can go to the floor you know in the first week of life if you're observing them and they're happy and they're content and you're down there with them um we have seen time and time again hundreds of times that babies just get stronger um the startle reflex begins to fade because um naturally being on your tummy um helps baby 
with their startle reflex. So like when they startle, it's just comforting to be on your tummy. Like Jenny said, if you're turned over on your back, you feel more defenseless. So you may be startling bigger with no way to really compensate, but that actual pressure being down on the floor on your tummy or wearing on moms, just signaling to your baby, you're, they're, they're safe or you're down there on the floor with them. And so then they begin to get stronger and they begin to pick themselves up. The head, you know, they begin to lift their head and they start moving through all those motor milestones. So we always recommend just even when you're going to go in and yeah, it's extra work, but get your baby out of the car seat as much as you can, you know, unbuckle them, you know, because just by baby wear them in there because um, by default, yeah, it's easy. You just pick up the car seat and before you know it, six hours have gone by. And then that's what we see. We are seeing a lot of babies just come in with, you know, plagiocephaly or flat head on one side because of the amount of time they spend on their back. It's not just about the flat head. This is so much more about also their their um, development and the lack of right. contact they're having and the contact. lack of tummy time, which counts kind of when they're on your skin. Right. Um, and when that happens day after day after day after day for weeks on end, that can significantly impact your baby's development. And we know that this is a modern mm-hmm. day problem. I mean, back in the day, babies were never sitting right. in a separate unit. They were right. either on the mother's front or on the mother's back or probably on their tummy on mm-hmm. the dirt. <laughs> True. That is exactly right. So we started this discussion talking about how stress and birth and the birth process can impact the moro reflex, which then impacts how a baby develops. Right. Are there other reflexes that we should be aware of? Are there other ways that birth, pregnancy even, Mm -hmm. Uh, mode of delivery can impact baby's development and what can moms look for to know if we already talked about c-section moms and what they know they need to do but moms who maybe you know had a stressful birth but still a vaginal birth or Mm -hmm. they feel like they have a colicky baby and they're hearing this episode and they're thinking well is my baby overly sensitive Mm -hmm. what should they be looking for and what else can you tell us about milestones that they should be aware of Sure. Okay. So when we, when we go through this entire process, it can feel very heavy when we're talking about reflexes and nervous systems and fight or flight and stress. So we try to bring this back to just the most basic of how it all biologically evolved. And what we know is that when we just even look back 500 years ago, like what we were doing then a thousand, 2000 years ago is dramatically different. So when we look at how birth affects development, we ideally want to set a pregnant mom up to be as mentally prepared for birth as possible. So whatever we can do to minimize the pregnant mother's stress and inform her about birth, I think that alone is going to foundationally serve the baby that's coming because the mother is using her mental power to prepare the baby by decreasing cortisol exposure. Um, And then moving into it, whatever your birth plan is, if it does go awry, the most important thing to understand is that if your baby experienced several days of stress versus a couple hours, what you're going to do is put your observing lens on and see what you're looking at as as a new mother and a new baby. And if this baby was like an alien, newly arrived, You wouldn't need a book or a doctor or somebody else who didn't know this alien. You could only use your power of observation to see what you got. And if you see a baby that's frequently crying, very hard to soothe, difficult to separate from, do the opposite. 
don't separate from them. Don't obsess about letting them be passed around. Um, don't, don't worry about swaddling them. Don't be looking at what swing to buy. Um, spend the time figuring out how to put a wrap on and um, responding to them and doing a lot of skin to skin. Cause we know primarily that's going to serve to increase your oxytocin and your bonding, which will begin to counteract the stress that they might've experienced in that birth process. And then from there, um, as the bond increases, and we can see this happening as the mother has less anxiety about the baby and the baby begins to stabilize and not crying so frequently. Um, but it's a solid stretch. We should definitely consider the first 12 weeks as a, you know, that time period of soothing the nervous system, soothing the nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're looking at your baby physically on the floor, if you're finding those brave moments to put them down, um, we know that other than the C-section, um, some different things can come into play here in terms of how they develop. So the Pitocin and the anesthesia can do what we consider um, of like a little blanket around the baby, if you will think um, they don't have as much receptivity to the environment. So these babies tend to gain weight really fast. Um, they don't roll on time. They may be um, have a harder time holding their head up or keeping their head up. Um, they're napping exceptionally long. Um, they're kind of just like your lazy babies, if you will. Very, very passive. So your extreme opposite of your emergency or planned C-section child on the very end of the spectrum is the baby that just seems to be in bubble wrap. Very, very low key. And in fact, most of the time people, when they have this child are pretty pleased with it. (laughs) They think, oh, this is great. This baby never cries. It's like, you know, it's happy, happy, happy. And it's not that we want to stress about a happy baby, but um, the connection for a mom understanding how birth affects development is that specific intervention can overwhelm the baby's receptors. So we see a chubby, chubby baby that's not as active and not as engaged in the environment. And that snowballs in a different type of milestone delay because they get heavy quick and they don't respond to the environment. So they're down the road, not sitting on time, not crawling on time, not standing. And we get to delayed walking. You said this is the baby who would have had Pitocin in labor or an epidural or both or Medication both is the double whammy if you do, because you get what would be like the gentle process of the contractions being initiated by the moral reflex of the baby and then increasing as the body prepares to you know expel the baby. But if you add the synthetic hormone, then you get almost an immediate uh, ramp or you know increase in the pressure that a baby is going to experience. So that depending on the level of Pitocin and, that, how and how long, they what we would essentially say is slammed by contractions that are not natural or nature-based. Um, means that you know for a child that's having a really long labor, 24 hours or so, like my first baby, um, I had an epidural for almost two days I was overdosed in my anesthesia. We didn't latch. He wasn't awake for two days. And the the mantra at the hospital is like, oh, this is just kind of normal. They're they're sleeping it off. But we know. (laughs) There's more involved. So it seems to me the takeaway so far is to the extent that you had an intervention birth. We're looking for these responses. It's natural for a mother. You know, it's such a shame that there's this thing in culture for generations on end with like good baby, easy baby. It's such a shame because it's like, you know, (laughs) when, (laughs) when, you know, when you have a little, you know, 
six, seven-year-old negotiating with you. And you're like, I cannot believe I'm in a seriously intellectually intense dispute with my child over something. You can't help but have a little thought like, good for you. Like you're going to grow up and be a very well-thinking, capable adult. I mean, so it's kind of the same thing. I mean, you don't want your baby to be, uh, first of all, I totally reject the word good. I think that's just a shame. We should never use that language. But, um, you know, we're not looking for an easy baby. We're looking for a highly responsive baby, which may at, point, in, at, at times be a demanding the way we want to interpret it based on our convenience, a demanding mm-hmm. baby in quotes. Mm-hmm. But what I'm hearing is it, to the extent that you have intervention is the extent to which you just want to be on the alert for these things. And so far, the takeaway to me sounds like skin to skin, tummy time. Is there something I've missed to this point so far about your takeaways? Hey there, all you amazing, strong, and beautiful women, especially you new moms and moms-to-be. I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, underbelly seam, raw cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com and cherry on top, you guys can use code down to birth at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy. Down to birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sits bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com, and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed, a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy-to-take vanilla powder, perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman-founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. 
And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal, head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order. No, that's, that's just right. Responsiveness, the tummy time. Um, we don't recommend any swaddling. Responsiveness is really key. We touched on that, but we didn't really go into that. Responsiveness yeah. would be lack of scheduling your baby yes. at a young age. So um, it's particularly as a lactation consultant, I'm talking all the time about feeding on cue, feeding on demand, learning your baby's language and always responding and never feeling that you're going to create bad habits or spoil your baby by holding them too much, going exactly. to them too much, loving them too much, um, t- responding to them too much. But people actually feel like that. If I respond to them what does spoiling mean? I have to, I've been meaning to ask the world to please tell me what does a spoiled baby mean? I mean, what, are, what kind of adult are you going to have? Someone who's demanding like a demanding convertible car. I don't, I just don't, I don't know. What, it's a strange I, concept. I think it's just a very strange concept. So, um, how do you guys feel about babies sleeping on their stomachs? hundred percent. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Especially if your baby, we, we get mothers asking us all the time, you know, my baby actually enjoys it, you know, and I'm, I'm scared. And I'm thinking again, like Jay says, we just, we just preach, go back to observing what your baby, are they comfortable? Do you enjoy sleeping on your stomach, on your side? Um, before the whole campaign began in the nineties, babies did sleep on their stomachs and it's, it's a calm. And that's what I'm saying. It's a calming um, position to be in. And we now know because the starter reflex is so strong in those first three months, that that is very calming for a baby. So, um, yeah, we tend to sleep a lot better that way. Tend so to sleep much a lot better. misinformation yeah. about specifically SIDS yeah. versus asphyxiation, your baby can sleep on their tummy without right. being at risk for asphyxiation. I mean, yeah. even to be face down, it's like, we have to talk about the things that we don't want to talk about because when we don't talk about them in the way that helps people understand what these things are, your baby being ruled as SIDS is there is no information (laughs) at this point to understand why this happened. And it is, it's a theory that sleeping on your tummy, which has not been proven, you know, and what we know when we look at nature, which is where we always get the most hundred (laughs) percent correct answer is that all mammals our belly down from the very beginning. So it just seems to be our own detriment. So my daughter was nine and a half pounds at birth. And when she was a week old, my mother was visiting and it was so hard to get her to take a nap. She's my second. And it was hard to get her to rest peacefully for a nap. And I said, mom, she just wants to be on her stomach. And my mother just looked at me with so much compassion and said, Cynthia, you loved sleeping on your stomach yeah, yeah. and I needed permission from her. Right. I just, I needed someone to say it's okay. Yeah. So I did it. And I was of course nervous, but I did it. I checked, I checked and she had these long, wonderful naps, but here's, she was not because I mentioned her weight because she was strong for a one week old because she was nine and a half. But I remember checking on her at one point and her head was perfectly turned to the other direction. She had lifted yeah. her head and placed it on the yeah. other cheek. But here's my question. Is that then a chiropractic concern? Is that a spinal concern? I just, I had that thought. I let her sleep on her stomach, but I did think, is it okay to have her head all the way turned like that? You're nodding. So is that, yeah, uh-huh. you it's actually that? a reflex. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, it's, it's all okay. Re- it's all yeah, okay. Then. <laughs> Going with reflex. my instinct worked. What do you know? Yeah, yeah. Like that's what when mothers need to hear. Yeah. Defensive reflex, reflex is the one where the little head and the arms come out. So when they hit, turn their head, they naturally will reflexively move their body. It's all nature design. Yeah. I mean, there's just no accident in yeah. all of it. And the most important thing about that too is that like when when we're using just 
how nature works. It just works effortlessly. It just all comes together so easily. There, there's so much um, fear that putting a baby to sleep on their stomach, a baby won't be able to lift up their head and turn it from side to side. But the second you put a brand new baby on a mother's chest, they literally can lift their head up yes. and find the nipple yeah. and latch on. And yeah. so they, all, they all know how to do it. It's so smart. They yes, they really do. So this is the, for me, this is the question of the day. One of the paradoxical things that I feel exists in this whole world of prenatal and postpartum support to mothers is it's the sensitive mothers who are hardest on themselves. And it's the luckiest babies who are born to sensitive mothers. So the irony is like those who are getting postpartum anxiety is because they're so bonded to their babies. They're so worried about doing everything right for their babies. And then those are the mothers who are suffering most with the babies who are the luckiest because their mothers are highly attentive and highly sensitive to their needs. When we have a conversation like this, I always feel a little bit filled with compassion for the woman who had the birth not go the way she wanted to. She's highly sensitive and you're each raising your hand, which I think lends yes. so much credibility to the work you do. And it's kind of, it's kind of a beautiful aspect of your life story that you can each say you also had healing births the second time. And you have to be at peace with the fact that one of your children had an, an easier transition into all of this than the other. And, and I'm sure you've had to come to peace with that, but here's my question for the women listening. Is it ever too late? Are they going to listen and think I missed my whole window now? My baby is way past that period. Also, that's the other question. Is it irreparable? And is it ever too late? Um, that is a great question. And it's never too late to go back and bond with your baby in the first years. Um, and just know that um, your mindset is the biggest power tool you hold. Yeah. And so the less you can stress, even around your baby, even if you didn't have the birth you wanted. You actually gave us a great tip earlier on when you said that baby wearing is the same as basically hugging is yes. what we do with our older children or as adults. Mm -hmm. And yes. so if your baby's even two or three or seven, yes. hugs, yes. just go to yes, the hug. It is that simple. That simple. That's simple. It's the deep pressure. It's going back. It's the physicality of it. In fact, the older the child gets, the more less physical we are with them. So it, it actually, it's that mindset shift to go, I'm actually going to the infant brain and I can go back and squeeze them, squeeze my nine-year-old and say, you know, this is what you didn't get when you trainled into this side. And, you know, I can pepper it back in and the brain always responds. Which we did with our own first. We went back and I allowed my two-year-old to come in and sleep with me because of the attachment, basically disorder and dysfunction we had. Um, I saw her behaviors as a reach out to me, not as something to push away which I invited her back into the bed with me and attached herself that way to me. It's been a long process, but that's just something we've done and enjoyed. So, so um, the end of the day is if you yeah. can prevent it, if you're pregnant right now, take all of this as like maximizing your stress-free living yeah. and leaning into what your heart tells you because your intuition is yeah. biologically going to guide you. And if you are down the road and have connected the dots, you really just use the earliest tools, which is being close together, physical touch, um, honoring communication and respect, right. which um, ultimately goes in and, and brings in those pathways in the brain. And just lean into your own intuitive part because it's really never wrong. <laughs> Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live, online, serving women and couples everywhere. 
Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. You know, my, my own mother, I'm third and my own mother, she didn't see me after she vaginally birthed me. She did not see me. until I had a pink bow in all my little hair and a white dress on in my own life. I feel like that had to be highly traumatic for both of us. I believe healing happened because she's such an incredibly nurturing present mother emotionally and and every other way. You just made the whole connection in your own anxiety. It's actually your own response to anxiety is initiated in those first few minutes because it's like, here I am on the other side (laughs) of the world and my mother is gone. Um, And so I just have an underlying predisposition that you know, like you said, you've already connected how she was able to soothe it. But ultimately, you know, it is, it is our own. We've actually gone back and thought about our own births, like (laughs) how, how much that plays into our personalities as sisters and discussing that with our mom and what she went through, what she was feeling. It's all, it's all so fascinating. (laughs) 